scripture passage this morning is James one twenty seven to two verse thirteen. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself being, being, from being polluted by the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the clothes, fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Close to 15 years ago, I went to a worship conference, and I attended a workshop called Planning Worship. It was led by a famous worship musician who began their workshop by confessing they didn't really understand why they were asked to teach uh, on this particular workshop. So his advice to us was to plan worship like he does. And here was his method. Pick a song. Whatever your favorite song at the time is, just pick that one. And then you play that song. And then after it's done, you play whatever other song comes to mind that you happen to like at the time. And you just have to make sure you always have a band that's made up of semi-professional musicians so that they can follow you no matter what you do. And just keep doing whatever songs you feel like. If you as a worship leader are having a good time, a good personal time of worship, hopefully others might follow you. And that was it. That was his advice. Now, I wish I had a hilarious story of how I came back and tried to do what he suggested and failed miserably, but I don't. All of my miserable failures have been my own, thank you very much. 
Even 15 years ago, I was mature enough to not fall for this terrible advice. But I do remember the next day here in this same space, looking out at a community made up of people from different ages, different church backgrounds, different ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds, and thinking, if I just did my favorite songs every week, only people who look like me and think like me and act like me will be able to lift their voice in worship. Even with something like congregational worship music, playing favorites, sticking to what you know and what you personally prefer creates a monotonous comfortability that lulls the spirit to sleep. It dulls the splendid kaleidoscope of diversity that beautifully witnesses to God's kingdom. And as I think we see here in James, when we play favorites in regards to people, it narrows the mission of God to the shallow egocentricism of what do I get out of it? Uh, Let's pray as we uh, get into this scripture. Jesus, we thank you that in you there is no favoritism or partiality. We ask, Lord, that as we consider James's words to the early church and to us, that you would enlighten us, uh, that your scriptures, your truth, uh, your desire... Uh, for welcome and inclusion and acceptance uh, uh, would uh, be known. Amen. Now, as Jane read for us, James makes it very clear that there is no place for favoritism or partiality in the church, at least not in a church that really believes in Jesus. In chapter 1, 27... James writes, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This sentence connects his previous thought about what it looks like when we listen to God, which Sam uh, reflected on last week, and our passage today. They are both lived out, both what we talked about last week and this week, are both lived out in the same way, to look after orphans and widows, the poorest and the most marginalized, and to keep from being polluted by the world. The previous chapters being polluted uh, is, is measured in kind of moral filth and anger, and here the pollution of the world looks like favoritism, discrimination, and judgmentalism. James's argument here through this passage is fairly straightforward. He begins with his main point, namely that believers in Jesus must not show favoritism. And his main reason for this point is simply the name of Jesus. The main reason we too must not show favoritism is because Jesus, the Christ, he is the Lord and he is glory. These words put together are meant to remind us that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory, the same God of glory of the Old Testament. As many passages throughout the Old Testament, um, but I'm just going to refer to Deuteronomy 10, uh, verses 17 to 18. It says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. 
He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing amongst you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. The Lord God is God of gods, Lord of lords, who shows no partiality. For those who believe Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory, there is no place for partiality or favoritism. This is James' main point. And with this point made quite succinctly, James then gives us a specific example of what this can look like in verses 2 to 4. That when you show special attention to a rich visitor, but show dishonor to a poor visitor, you have discriminated and you have become judges with evil thoughts. James then gives three reasons for this point. The first being in verses 5 and first half of 6, that God honors the poor. And so when you dishonor the poor, your discrimination is actually against God. And we hear this kind of language in Jesus' teaching, particularly in Matthew 5 and 6. The second point is that in their specific situation, and their specific situation is that the rich in their culture are the ones who are persecuting the church. And so showing favoritism towards the rich makes no sense. But it actually is, in a way, participating in their blasphemy against the noble name of Jesus to show favoritism to a group of people who are actually persecuting the name of Jesus. And James's third reason for why favoritism is inconsistent with faith in Jesus is because discrimination against the poor violates the very centerpiece of Jesus' teaching, what James calls the royal law, the law of freedom. Namely, love your neighbor as yourself. And just in case this wasn't enough, to wrap it all up, James gives one final reason for motivation. For those who have not been merciful, for those who act out discrimination and show favoritism, judgment without mercy will be their reward. For God is a God of mercy, and in, for in God, mercy always triumphs over judgment. Sadly, favoritism and discrimination in the community of the church has always been present. Even in the early church, partiality keeps rearing its ugly head. Uh, we'll go to the, uh, the book of Acts, which is kind of the, the story of the early church after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And in Acts 4, verses 32 to 34, we read this. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. So there's this beautiful picture of the church. Yet, by the time we get two chapters later in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, we see that within a short period of time, 
Widows, who were ethnic Jews, so those who were born as Hebrews, were being taken care of and being provided for, while Jewish widows, who were of a different ethnicity, were not being taken care of. They were allowing some to go hungry while feeding their own. So much for sharing all things with all people wherever the, so that no one has need. And so to address this blatant discrimination, they realized they needed to set up a system that put their beliefs into action. And this is, by the way, what religion is. From an organizational perspective, religion is a structure and systems that help us to live out our faith in a more organic and non-institutional language. Religion is our beliefs and our values being embodied in the world as a loving family. Pure religion, untainted religion, beautiful, holy, and a purity of love religion is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so, the early church set up the first deacon's board, people full of the spirit and wisdom, to organize food for poor widows. This was what the deacons were called to do. The word deacon simply means one who serves. In this case, that service was in facilitating the distribution of food so that the poorest among them would be cared for without discrimination based on their ethnicity. Unfortunately, at this point in history, the church did continue to discriminate between Jews and non-Jews. They had a lot of work still to do. It would take years before the church was able to grasp God's vision for his people to not show partiality towards some while discriminating against others, but rather to be a welcoming community of grace to all people. Well, it wasn't years. I mean, it was more like decades for the church to begin to grasp this. Well, no, let's be honest. It would take centuries before the church fully began to grasp God's vision for his people. It would take until the 1800s, so 1800 years, for the church to begin in a major way to grasp God's vision in Scripture to abolish slavery and reject racism. And as we are increasingly aware, this is work which is still nowhere near being finished or reflecting God's desire. It would take until the 1900s, it's 1,900 years for the church to realize in Scripture that to really grasp God's vision for equality between men and women. Again, work which is still nowhere being finished or reflecting God's desire. And I don't think that God's vision is done. I do not think we are done learning who's in and who's out, for there is no in and out. Have you ever read the Canadian Human Rights Act? It, this is how it reads. Prohibited grounds of discrimination are race, national or ethnic origin, color, religion, age, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity or expression, marital status, family status, Genetic characteristics, which we just had a win in the courts this week, 
um, that we that uh, we can't be discriminated against by our genetic codes. Disability and conviction for an offense which had a, which a pardon has been granted in respect of which a record suspension has been ordered. Now, did you notice that as extensive as this list is, that socioeconomic grounds is not included? Within the Canadian Human Rights Act, you can discriminate between the rich and the poor. You can't reject someone's job application because of their ethnicity and gender, et cetera, et cetera, which is amazing. But you can refuse to hire them based on whether they are homeless or live in low-income housing. Partiality and discrimination against the poor is your constitutional right as a Canadian. How terrible is that? As Elizabeth Warren said, it's no wonder a kid will get thrown in jail for stealing a car while a CEO gets a huge raise when the company steals billions. Or that someone hooked on opioids gets locked up for buying pills on the street, but bank executives get off scot-free for laundering nearly a billion dollars of drug cartel money. Or that friends of the President of the United States, convicted of terrible crimes, can receive a literal get-out-of-jail-free card. Our society unquestionably favors the rich and the powerful and is stacked against the most vulnerable, the marginalized, the minority. Fortunately for us as followers of Christ, when we look at the scriptures, they leave no place for this. Yet somehow in the church, even right from the beginning, is an often complicit, biased favoritism. If that weren't the case, James wouldn't have had to write this 2,000 years ago, and we wouldn't need to still read it today. But sadly, as much as the Christian church has played a significant part in many battles against discrimination, this reality continues to exist within the church today. We have a long way to go before we are innocent of what James calls a sin of favoritism as we do not yet fully grasp and enact God's vision for a people who would be free of judgment without mercy against those who are on the margins. A vision that goes well beyond how we treat those who walk into our worship gatherings. Imagine if we could honestly say, we won't show favoritism in our church community, we will work to treat everyone equally regardless of their disposable income, regardless of their education, their age, their ethnicity, or nationality, or color, or their gender, or their sex. Imagine if this went beyond the borders of our faith community, and like all embodied spirituality, reached out into the entirety of our lives, into our communities, and our nation. That would be pure religion, enacted embodiment of faith in its purest form. So here's a question for you. When you vote, do you consider what is best for your own tribe? However you would define that. Do you vote for what is best for you and yours? to protect your personal rights, your values, your income, or do you vote for what is best for everyone? And what is best for everyone, at least from a biblical perspective, is what is best for the poor, the marginalized, the held down, the discriminated. 
with all of the pandemic-related economic downturn that we have and will see increasingly, we are increasingly seeing people out of work, supplies of quality food shrinking while the costs increase. Food security, which is the assurance of the availability, access, and utilization of food for everyone, is a very real problem, not only in the developing world, but in North America. When we talk about systemic favoritism and discrimination, access to clean drinking water in Canada is a mirror that allows us to see ourselves truly and clearly. None of us would be okay with our children, with our friends, our parents, our family, in living conditions where they had no access to clean water. None of us would be okay with that. If our loved ones had no access to clean water, we would not stop advocating for them until things changed. Yet as a society, we are okay with the fact that companies like Nestle continue to extract millions of liters of water from First Nations lands for pennies to make bottled water, while approximately 63,000 people living on reserves have no access to clean water in Canada. And many of those communities are not out in the middle of nowhere, not that it would make a difference if they were, Many of these are only 90-minute drive from major city centers like Toronto. And this is only one example of Canada's continuing discrimination against First Nations people. And in COVID, we've instantly gone back to a disposable lifestyle. Water bottles, straws, cups, coffee cups. Add to that masks, they're already finding large swaths of masks floating in the oceans that only took four months. We had like a month of looking outside and going, oh, look, the birds and the animals are coming back to our streets. But like for like a month we saw that before we started to see the environmental positives of a very momentary lower gas consumption quickly turned into an environmental disaster of increased use of single-use items and garbage uh, increase. There's so much that falls within what James calls for us to honor the poor and the marginalized, to live the royal law of freedom, of loving our neighbor as ourselves, to speak and act as those who live mercy without judgment. There are unlimited neighbors to care for. Now this, of course, can feel heavy. It's, it's overwhelming. And we can't do it all. So what is our calling? The best advice that I have ever given was by Rick Tobias, who's kind of a Canadian legend in Christian work to eradicate poverty. He said that we should not try to do everything or to save everyone, but rather to do only what God calls us to, to do what God has placed before us. I think it's important that we all take time to prayerfully discern what it is that God has placed before us. It is much harder during COVID to enact these kind of beliefs because many of the ways we have done this work in the past are now closed to us or are limited or at least to a smaller number of volunteers. Initiatives that have us making food, going to people's homes, volunteering with the sick or the marginalized are closed to us right now. With COVID isolation, it is more challenging to engage with others who are different than us. 
It has always been the case that in order for us to break down our partiality, our judgments, our lack of mercy for those who are different than ourselves, we need to build relationship. This can always be hard, but it is extra hard in this season as we bubble in so many different ways. If we do not want to live the sin of partiality and discrimination, of judgment without mercy, we need to find ways amidst physical distancing and social isolation to grow in understanding and love for those who are different than us. Our simple thing, one simple thing, is to intentionally read articles, listen to podcasts, watch news stories written by those who share different perspective, worldview, or experience than you. Google, Google Media Bias Chart Canada. Media Bias Chart Canada. If you only read, watch, or listen to things that are on the right, on the right side of the page, like Fox News or Rebel Media, be intentional, check out things from the left. And if you only read, watch, and listen to things on the left side of the page, like Huffington Post or MSNBC, check out things on the right. Or at least even better, let's just change from these sides and find the ones in the middle. One warning to this, though, is that you have to be careful because some media bias charts Media bias charts are extremely biased. I saw one that had the Globe and Mail and the CBC equally on the left side of the page, uh, which is pretty hilarious in and of itself because they aren't on the same spectrum. And they were both labeled as propaganda containing misleading information. So you got to be careful when you look up a bias chart that it isn't biased to your own perspective because all it will do is keep you, keep us uh, in our narrow thinking. Choose to watch movies or TV shows that are from different experience and reality than yours. Now, I'm not talking about watching the Avengers Infinity War because you've never experienced the apocalypse through the eyes of a superhero. I'm not talking about that kind of different reality than yours. I'm talking about watching and reading stories where the protagonists, the main characters, are vastly different than you, living in different cultural, ethnic, economic, uh, gender, uh, and gender identity realities than you. Recently, many streaming services have begun to curate playlists of films and TV shows created by and from a black perspective. We need more of this. And we need to not just look at those playlists and go, isn't that wonderful, but to actually watch them. Again, another good start. But as things open up more and more and you leave your house, you leave your bubble, we need to find ways to practice expanding our relational circles while maintaining physical distance. In general, let's be attentive to those around us. When we catch ourselves out and we think, well, what's, that, this, what's with that guy? Or we're feeling uncomfortable about someone we see. Ask yourself questions like, why do I feel this way? Why am I judging them as unsafe or as strange or as a problem? How does God see them? God, how do you want me to see this person? What can I learn from this person? Instead of remaining in a posture of judging and evaluating, let's open ourselves to a posture of learning, empathy, and acceptance. And of course, once we're able to be together again, here in worship and then out in the city, 
Take time to befriend, to learn about and appreciate someone who, has, who you have come to realize you don't understand or you have trouble referring to. People you do not think because of your values or religious beliefs uh, you can relate to or that you instinctively, for some reason, you think of as an outsider. Befriend. Learn. In God's kingdom, there are no outsiders. For God does not judge with partiality like we do. I think we will find in God's kingdom that we will be surprised by who is there, and I guarantee it won't be less people than you think. It's like the story of the worship leader that I began with, who's only, who only chooses songs that they liked and would give them the best personal experience possible with the hopes that perhaps others would follow along. In the same way, when we make choices based solely on what we like, what will benefit us the most, whether it be anything from as small as using plastic straws to as big as voting for political candidates that will serve to keep me and my own tribe, whether by ethnicity, socioeconomic, age, gender, sexuality, tax bracket, when our choices are based solely on what serves us and ours, in our sinful favoritism, we are breaking the royal law of loving our neighbor as ourselves. And we are blaspheming the noble name of the one in whom mercy triumphs over judgment. Like with that worship leader, we will end up surrounded only by people exactly like us and increasingly unable to lovingly open ourselves to the other which means not only opening our hearts, but our homes, our churches, our politics, our society. In our favoritism and discrimination, as we increasingly become more and more unable to lovingly open ourselves to those who are different than us, our lives will become shallower and shallower, and our hearts will become more and more judgmental. This trajectory is one choice but it is only one choice. Or, of course, like Jesus, we can choose another trajectory. And I think one thing I'm convicted more and more of is that there is no staying. We are always in a trajectory. So you can choose that first one that I just described, or you can choose the one that Jesus chose. We can see the blessedness of the poor and the marginalized, we can turn away from our favoritism and discriminations and participate with God in the work of mercy through loving our neighbors as ourselves. And like with the diversity of music and worship, though we may not always be comfortable, we may not always understand it, we will find ourselves, our church and our world, enriched, enlivened by a beautiful diversity that reflects Jesus, the Lord of glory, and God's kingdom vision for his people. Now let's pray. Jesus, we thank you and are intimidated by the, the challenge you brought to us through James and, quite frankly, through all of Scripture. Like Psalm 72, that gives us this picture of what a, a wonderful human king looks like. 
The poor are cared for. Those who have not been heard are heard. The voices of those who are voiceless are lifted up. We ask God that you would help us to rise to the challenge of not showing favoritism, of rejecting discrimination, but of loving our neighbor as ourselves in pure and spotless religion. Help us to not be polluted by the world, to, to uh, give power based on Well, to give power based on anything that we just see that is shallow. But that we would see the beauty of your image in all people. And that we would live to give voice to the voiceless, to care for, to welcome those who are marginalized and discriminated against and held down. So help us, Lord, we pray. We are desperate And we need your Holy Spirit working in us. Reveal what you have placed before us that we can faithfully love you and love our neighbors. Amen.